Today's passage is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. It is the story of the first Christmas. And um, so this is how it goes. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them, Into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as has been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is um, my favorite Sundays of the year, and um, this is my favorite Christmas passage. Um, it's the first Christmas day, and um, I think I might have preached on this text more than any other text. <laughs> and uh, I actually looked it up because I wanted to make sure, did I preach on this last year? I did. <laughs> Before we uh, launched you know, revive, um, I had preached on this. And I was like, oh, whatever. We've launched revive and the first um, Christmas message I want to be from the first Christmas day. And, um, and so this is, a, this is the message I want to give. And, you know, this is a really special Sunday to me personally. I hope it's special to all of you who are part of revive and um, so let's get into it, all right? It's a message I've entitled Christmas, 
and how God sees you. And for those of you who aren't, you know, one of our regulars, I'm a three-point preacher. All right, part one, social location and Christmas. That's part one. Social location and Christmas. I'll explain what I mean by social location in just a minute. Part two, um, the inward anxiety of the middle and upper classes. Okay? I don't know if you know this. Um, I'll bet you, you all have this anxiety, or almost all of you have this anxiety. Everybody in this room is, for the most part, you're of the either, either middle class, upper middle class, or, or maybe more, but probably you're somewhere in this, and you have a certain anxiety, and I want to talk to that today. And I'm going to close with how the Father sees you. And it's, I think, here in this passage, it's here in Christmas, how the Father, how God the Father sees you if you know him through Jesus Christ, right? So um, let's talk about social location. I want to make two observations about this incredibly famous passage. Um, I have read this passage many, many times. I've meditated on it many, many times. And uh, there are all these little interesting nuggets. But really, I want to just start off by making an observation of the obvious stuff. And if you have listened to me, if you've been with you know, us before we launched, you know, some of you, you know, I've been your preacher for many years. I've made this point, and usually around this time I like to make this point. Um, and the, so one of the things I want to talk about first is who was there at the first Christmas? Who was not there at the first Christmas? Okay? That's the first observation I want to make. So here's Usually I kind of go into a big to-do, and I, I, I really emphasized this last year. But one of the things I want to tell you is our society has a way of celebrating Christmas. And I'm not knocking the way we celebrate. I love, actually, American Christmas, right? I love American Christmas. It's basically Western Christianity's understanding and celebration of Christmas. It's been going on for more than a thousand years, in America, we do, like, we do it big, the way we like, we like to do everything in America big, right? But everybody in America, and whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, you have this kind of picture of what the first Christmas is like, and it's incorrect. <laughs> um, you know the shepherds were there. You know that there was a baby, and he's somehow the son of God, you know there's Mary and Joseph, and you know we, we sang it, that we sang it, that his first bed was a manger, and a manger basically is a feeding trough for animals. And we sang it, that here he is, this baby, and he was laying into the straw. So here are all the people that are, here are all the, one, all the folks that are there. There's Mary, there's Joseph, there's Jesus. His bed is a feeding trough the animals are there. Um, so it smells. And it tells you the reason they're there is because they could not afford and there's no place for them in the inn. That's what it tells you. Right? And here are the people who are not there. Family's not there. There's no grandma, there's no grandpa. There's no brothers, there's no sisters, there's no aunts or uncles or cousins. 
And it's really pointed because, you know what? They're in town. <laughs> so the fact that they're not there, that's a cut. It's a deep cut. Because everybody who is of the line and lineage of David is ordered by decree by the government, you have to be in this town. So Joseph and Mary don't want to be in this town. But they have to be in this town by law. So they show up. And so that's probably why there's not enough space in the inn. Because all the other people that are not normally in this little, honestly dumpy place called Bethlehem, they show up in town by law. And so the prices of the hotels, motels, the inn, are going up. And so... They are priced out. Or maybe it's even worse than that because Mary, not Joseph's wife, he's betrothed. You understand what that means? In a very conservative culture, she looks big <laughs> and she's not his wife. And so these are the details. They don't exactly say it, but this is real. Well, this is how the Bible is. It gives you these very certain details. And if you read it carefully, you will learn other things. And the way Western Christian presentation of Christian, the American presentation of Christmas, it's highly sentimental. It's beautiful. You think there are these wise men that show up. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. They're not there. The family's not there. There's no gold. There's no frankincense. There's no myrrh. There's no scholarly guys with money, with a big train of camels. They're not there. <laughs> On the first Christmas, it's a hard day. It's a painful day. Family's not there. These very poor people are having, giving birth and the only guests besides the animals, there's no doctor there. There's no midwife there. It's not a comfortable hospital. It's a terrible, awful place to give birth. That's the first Christmas. That's the first observation I would let you know. So this thing that we, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's sentimentalized, we celebrate it. Mary, Maria, one of the most beautiful names. Joseph, one of the greatest names. It's a terrible day for them. It's a terrible day. Hmm. That's the first observation I want to make. Here's the second point I want to make, and now I want to get into this question of social location, which is, it's really obvious, but I want to, I want to make this point, and often churches don't like to emphasize this point. But if you read the Bible, you can't not see this point. And the point is this, they're really poor. So Joseph is a carpenter, and apparently he's not a super successful carpenter. Because you know, because he cannot afford the inn. And let me tell you something, there's no way if he could afford it, they'd be there. There is absolutely no, there is no man, if he could get his way into that inn, 
There is no way that be in the stable. There is absolutely no way. <laughs> so the town is crowded. You show up at the motel. Maybe there's one room. There's no room for them at the inn. What does that mean? We don't want you because she ain't your wife. And we don't like those kind of people here. It could be that. Or we don't want you because that room costs $200. Normal price is $60. He showed up with $100, and he cannot afford $200. So that could be the reason. Or maybe both of those are the reason. They're poor. There's a name for, you know, Joseph's class of work. Today we call it working class. Um, there's actually a, a name by sociologists, they call it the working poor. It doesn't mean you're out on the street. It doesn't mean you live in a slum. But it's like you are middle class, maybe. But you are on the bottom rung of middle class, if you're middle class. That's the kind of polite term that we call this class of folks. That's who Joseph and Mary are. And if you go look at the first Christmas, let me tell you, everybody's poor. And everybody isn't kind of poor, they're really poor. Because nobody who's not this poor ever has a baby with the animals where it smells like, you can smell the horse pee. And, you know, we sang it, we laid him down in the straw, but no mom ever wants to lay her baby down in the thing you feed the animals. <laughs> now, why am I bringing this up? I want to ask you this question. Um, it's Christmas. Are, you know, do you have a need for Christmas? Do you know that this is a special day? Do you feel that it's a special day? So many of you, the majority of you, probably are Christians. You're like, I know it's a special day. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a special day. And, you know, we, it's Christmas. We celebrate it as a special day. But one of the things I want to point out to you is there's this very important reality, which is called social location. And you know what I mean by social location? Where are you in the socioeconomic location, the class of society. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean by social location. The most of us who are in this room, we are not in the same social location as Mary and Joseph or the shepherds. The shepherds, they're working poor. When they met Mary and Joseph, they're like, that's, they're like us, Okay? If you want to just live and be in an okay house in Silicon Valley and you are in the working poor in Silicon Valley, you probably are in debt. <laughs> or you will soon not be living in your decent house because you're going to be living in your car. <laughs> or soon you're going to be just move out of the city because you just can't afford this city. That's real. 
And everybody of you who work and live in this city, if you kind of just know what the prices are like, you know that's real. I mean, it's like <laughs> there are streets in, our, in Silicon Valley. You drive down this street and it's like van, 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 RV, car, car. And there's probably someone living in each one of those vehicles. There are streets like that. And then the cops know that there are those streets. And then every, they just basically, when they're kind, they ignore those, that because you're not supposed to do that. And then every now and then they have to go do their job and say, you can't live here because it's a kind of vagrancy. You're breaking the law. So the people living in the cars in our city, they're just like Joseph and Mary. <laughs> they're just like Joseph and Mary. You understand? And if we come to church and we read this passage and you don't take this history seriously, you're like, it's a nice sentimental story and we, we're Americans and we're Christians and we celebrate this story. <laughs> and... You drive down the street and somebody is a beggar because that happens all the time in our city. All the time. And you don't see that the story of Christmas is related to that reality. It just, come on, that's just not real. That's not real. This is not like a sentimental religious fairy tale. This is history. It's real. So before God made creation, he knew this is when the Son of God was going to come into the world and into history and it's going to be like this. Social location. Now, um, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, okay? <laughs> One of the points I want to make is, and um, if you are a person and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, there are many people in our in our time, and you know this, if you are a Christian, you know that your, your, you know, your, your cousin who doesn't believe in Jesus, or your coworker who's in the next cubicle, or, you know, or, or, or you know, that girl who, who sits next to you in math class, um, they don't believe in Jesus, and they don't feel a need for God. And so Christmas is nice, because it's like an American holiday, I mean, we spend the money, we give each other gifts, but it's like, kind of not really too much about God. And we know some, somehow the Christians kind of care about that. But even among the Christians, we don't always feel, we don't feel a deep need for God and why this day is so important. And one of the points I want to make for you is when you just make more money and you can kind of like, you have a nicer house and I'm a nice person, I try hard to be a decent person and I'm not racist. I'm not mean. And I actually try to be nice to poor people. You know, it's really, I'm sure that's probably true for most of you or for your friends, right? But deep down, there's this feeling and I'm not sure why I really need a savior. What is the savior stuff? What is God? And really, nobody ever wants to admit this. It has to do with class, <laughs> It has to do with social location. <laughs> because when it's obvious on the outside, you don't have enough. 
when you're not sure if you're not going to have enough to eat or have a decent place to live and stuff like that, you could feel that life hurts. And life is hard. And then we tend to want to pray more. <laughs> and you guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you've been a Christian for a while, you know, a number of you have said this to me. When everything's going okay, I don't tend to pray too much, <laughs> Pastor. And then soon as it hurts, your life is threatened, then we pray. Huh. Right? Well, what if life hurt mostly every day, every day? Then think about it. Just think about this. What if you were the working poor in Silicon Valley and this word was read to you? This is Christmas. Don't you think you would sit there and go like, I feel so bad about myself because I don't know if I can afford a gift for my kid. And you just feel so crummy. I would feel utterly crummy. But this word is from God. <laughs> this word is from God. And he came to be just like me. Social location on Christmas. Let me go to part two. I want to say a little something else. Um, you don't have to be poor. You don't have to be poor to feel that Christmas really seriously matters. But you have to be poor on the inside. <laughs> You could be a billionaire on the outside <laughs> or upper middle class, okay? But you got to be poor on the inside. And if you're poor on the inside, you will start to get why Christmas matters. And what I want to do is I want to help you today to know that whether you feel it or not, there is a poverty on the inside of you. No matter where you are, on the social location ladder. And I want to say this thing. I, think I call it the inward anxiety of the middle and upper classes. And here's the, here's the point I really want to make. Poverty is not primarily about not having enough money. <laughs> it's not. Poverty, a lot of people think poverty is, I don't have enough money, so I can't... Okay, that's really a very, very kind of like economic... And honestly, a shallow way of thinking. And it's weird, because, but it's true. It's just constantly our government always says, you don't have enough money. If we give you this resource, then you can get more money. Oh, you don't, you, your kids don't, you can't go to a good school. But if we like, raise up more money, your kids can go to better, then your kids can go to a better school and you can have more money and then we'll solve the problem, right? It's not good enough. The real deeper issue of poverty is that deep inside... You grow up, and if you get to a place in your life, you're an adult, and you're, su you're supposed to be smart enough and competent enough to be able to have this job, and then somebody will respect you, and they'll pay you enough money, and then you'll have enough money, and then you can have enough house, and then you can, you can have a decent enough car, and you can afford to give all these things to your gifts, and then you will live a decent middle-class life, right? 
Here is the real secret about the anxiety of poverty. What if you can't have this and you'll slip below that? If you can't have this and you slip below that, that's the anxiety. (laughs) The anxiety is we won't be able to have that kind of life. And it's not about just my kids will starve or that we won't have enough clothes or that we'll be cold that winter. That's bad enough. Here's the deeper, harder thing is that when we go out and meet people, deep down, I will feel like nothing. (laughs) That's the real anxiety. The real anxiety is regardless of however much money you got, inside, if you just feel low in the world, you feel low and nothing. Because here's the real truth of it. I don't care how strong you think you are. Everybody, you think about yourself in the way the world tells you who you are. (laughs) We're all conditioned. We're profoundly social beings. And so, If your mom and dad tell you you're great, if your teachers tell you you're great, your bosses tell you you're great, your neighbors tell you you're great, your neighbors look up to you, your friends look up to you, all of that, as long as they like you and admire you, then you think, I must be okay. (laughs) But if they don't, then you start to feel less than okay. And if they start to look down on you or they pity you, even if they love you, then that hurts. That is a profound anxiety of the human condition. And you know that deep anxiety that's going on inside? It's really, it's incredibly powerful. You know, so let's say you're middle class. And somewhere in your mind, you have this idea that I got to get this level of house and this kind of car and this kind of school for my kids. Otherwise, I did not live a good life. So whatever that level is, for some of you, that level, that level is high. <laughs> and for some of you, that level is lower. But in Silicon Valley, it's pretty much hard on everybody. <laughs> right? So if you just want to have like a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house, and you want to own that thing, my gosh, that's hard. <laughs> and so just to get to that, your work, your bosses and your work, they can just crank up that performance level <laughs> to really seriously high levels. And they could demand on your resume and from your schools to really, really high levels. And almost every single one of you, if you know that I don't actually get to this point, they could cut me and then we could slip below. And I will fall into that anxiety. Is this honest? It's like, Pastor, this is supposed to be a nice message. This is Christmas. First Christmas is not a nice day. It's a really good day. Because on the outside, we all wish it could just be nice. But if we're really being honest, I don't mean to be mean here. There's a certain percentage of you, you're in real debt. Like, you have this number from your credit cards, and every single month, 
that number grows because there's this thing called interest. And then there's a score from this place called like Experian. And that's a grade on how good you are. And that number is a bad number. And you know what? You're ashamed of that number and you don't let anybody know. But on the outside, we have to keep up to be okay. And I'm not trying to like say that because we look down on you. I actually say that to you because I want to tell you Jesus came to be with you. And actually even lower, if you fall into that poor poverty, from the get-go, God said, I'm with you. I'm with you. And every single one of us, no matter how well off we get, we need to remember this inside, this thing, this fear that I'm going to be nothing. I could be nothing. It's like this is the inner anxiety and that's our poverty. <laughs> and into this poverty, what I want to offer you is the good news of Christmas. Let's close with the good news, okay? I want to close with the gospel. And I want to give you a reflection that I've called How the Father Sees You. And you can see it in Christmas. There's a verse in the Bible um, that's actually not an easy verse to understand. And um, as a young man, or as a young pastor, I didn't understand it. <laughs> I was like, this is hard. What, what does this mean? And it took me a while to piece this theology together. And it's very, very important on Christmas. And I want to share it with you. So this is uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And it has something to do with how God the Father sees you. Right? Sees you. And here's the verse. He, this is Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now let me unpack this. So here's what it means. The firstborn of all creation, all the the people who are heretical, they used to say, see, he was born. That means he's not like the same kind of God as like, you know, the ultimate eternal father. He had to be born at a certain point, And so, therefore, he's not divine. The, the, you know, like Jehovah's Witness, they like to cite this verse. And I used to read this. I'm like, it kind of sounds like they're right. <laughs> and then I understood it. But it can't be right because in the context, because Paul wrote this and Paul doesn't believe in that. So he can't be confused. It doesn't mean that. This is an echo of Genesis chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. So in Genesis chapter 1, God makes the heavens and the earth. He makes before, in the beginning, he said, let there be light. Boom, there's light. And then he makes day, and then he makes night, and then he makes, you know, all the things that creeps. It's good, it's good, it's good. And then he finally makes human beings, and he makes them in his image. Super special. The angels are not in his image. The monkeys are not in his image. The dogs are not in his image. Only us. And then, then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and these, these beings who are supposed to be in the, Im the image of God, 
the most special creation in all of creation. They have a choice. The choice is, will we build our life from God and trust in him? Or will we build our life on what the devil said? (laughs) And they chose what the devil said. And then the image of God, it didn't die or disappear, but it got corrupted. (laughs) And every power that we have from God, we're creative, (laughs) we have a a need for love, we are so smart and we're inventive and we can have dominion over the earth, all our God-likeness we then use like the devil. And that's why the world is so dark. And God knew that this was going to happen. He knew this. He knew that when we make, he makes creation, he was going to make the special being. They were supposed to be just like, they're going to be like him. They're like the creaturely version of him. And, but it's actually much more interesting than that. The creaturely version of his son. And when he sends his son, He's going to make his son like them. (laughs) So that when they, when he becomes human, (laughs) when he becomes human, they will go back and come out the, the right image of God. The right divinity will come back into them and their true humanity, they finally come to their true humanity in his humanity. And so what is this part about he is the firstborn of all creation? Now I want to get this is the way I want to this is the way I want to get to the, the ending of my message. So he is the firstborn of all creation. It doesn't mean he was firstborn chronologically, because that's I believe that's not true. Adam was the first human being, but the son was there before Adam, and here's what that means: is that when God made Adam, he made him like the firstborn of creation. In other words, the one that was before Adam, the son. (laughs) And so, here's the son of God. When God made Adam, I'm gonna make him to be like the firstborn. And why is it this term firstborn? In Jewish culture, and not just Jewish culture, but much of ancient culture, there's this... uh, the, the anthropologists call this primogeniture. What does primogeniture mean? It means that the firstborn son has the special, special honor of the house. That's what it means. So who would have the special, special love and honor of the family? It would be the first son. That's what firstborn means. It means the firstborn so it's, it's a crazy, incredible thing, this teaching. The eternal son of God would be the first one shaping the first man. That's what it meant. The first son. The true eternal son would be the first son. Okay, now let me get to the end of my message. Um, not all of you in here are parents. Um, the first kid is super special. I'm a father of three. You know why the first kid is special? 
Because you've never been a parent. <laughs> you've never been a parent. If you've never been a father or a mother, as soon as you have that first child, it's unbelievable. You never knew you could love somebody that absolutely. Well, I mean, 100% of all the parents that are out there, but pretty much if you're just a normal mother or father, you don't have to be an A-plus father or mother. <laughs> you could be a C-minus mom or dad, and this just happens to you. So, of course, you know, like, you know, Grace and I are, like, we're hardly, you know, very imperfect, normal parents. And Grace was pregnant, and then we had our firstborn. His name's Hudson. You guys, you all know him. Many of you know him. And as a father, I looked upon Hudson, and he came out. First of all, I looked straight down between his legs because we didn't know if he was a boy or a girl. <laughs> I said, oh, boy, okay, good. <laughs> then I looked at his face, and I said, oh, good looking, great. <laughs> and then I looked at his hair, curly, interesting. <laughs> this, was, this, was my, this was really my first three thoughts when, right when he was born. <laughs> and... Um, if you have, your, you, know, you have your one child, this is what it's like. It does not matter where he is in the room. It does not matter. It doesn't even matter if he's not even in the room. <laughs> Many years ago, when Young was you know, youth pastor and we're visiting you know, the church that planted us, I was on vacation and I was talking to Young at church after service was over. We're like blabbing and catching up. Da, da, da. And like the place is like, it's fellowship time. There's a lot of noise. And then he goes, hold on, I got to go. <laughs> he stopped in his tracks and he ran out of the room. And I was like, what the heck just happened? It's because he heard his daughter crying. <laughs> it's like, there's like all this noise. And out of all that noise, he could hear his daughter crying. And he just ran out of the room. Completely normal. <laughs> and I could walk into, you know, I could look around, and I just look in a room, and I, I, could, I, could see, I could just spot my kid. What I usually do, I just look for the curly hair. <laughs> now, why am I telling you this? Do you think, how do you think the father looks on the son? He looks on the son, something like that. He has always looked on the sun, something like that. There wasn't like someday, like a billion years before, the, you know, before there was light, and said, hey, I'm having a bad day. <laughs> like, it's not unlike us. And the father looked on the sun and, you know, like said something mean or like bad to him, you know, kind of like normal parents like we do. He looked at his son and his face shined down on his son with absolute, infinite love and pleasure. And then when he made us, and then when we have children, and then you have a child, this is your first child, that's how you look at your child. <laughs> and here's the way I want to end this message. You know why Jesus had to become human? Because we chose humanity according to the devil. And if we are humanity according to the devil, then God, as God, would have to reject us. Because he is pure and holy and righteous. And would have to send us away. 
even though he wants to love us. But instead, he sent his son, and he knew that for the father, for the father, not for the son, for the father, the first Christmas day was going to be a hard day. And that his son was going to be born into this terrible poverty. (laughs) But when that baby was born, what do you think, how do you think the father in heaven looked down on that little boy, that baby boy? How do you think he looked down on him? Don't you think infinite love and pleasure shined down on the face of that little boy? Don't you think? It's absolutely true. Of course he did, of course. And when you come to faith in Jesus, you are invited into a new humanity. You are by grace, nothing that you can earn by grace, you are by pure grace brought into a new humanity. And let me dare say this, you are now for the first time enveloped in his humanity, which is to say his divinity. And so why did God set up all of history and all of creation? What I want to say to you is this, so that there would be a Christmas day and the Father would shine down infinite love on a human face, the firstborn of all creation, his son, and that that son would be the first of many sons and daughters that would receive the infinite love and pleasure of God. (laughs) So that though you are a human being and the whole world tells you you're not much and you have this anxiety deep down that I could fall into the nothingness. Instead, what will happen Christmas Day, here's what I want to tell you. Christmas Day is a day that the Father sees your face. He sees your bald head or your curly hair. And he sees it just like the face of Jesus. And he invites you into this infinite humanity divinity to be loved by him and to be pleasing to him forever and ever. And nothing in the world, absolutely nothing in the world can ever take that away from you. No matter if you fall down, no matter if you sin, it'll be forgiven. If you get poor and you fail your boss, the father will still love you with infinite love just like he does Jesus let's pray can this be true can this be true we so many of us well like me they're probably, maybe I can't always project. 
we know the gospel in our head. And we know Christmas in our head. And we know Christmas from American sentimentality. And we kind of vaguely know that we're somehow a son or a daughter through Jesus. But do we really deep down believe that, Father, you look on a human face, my face, and you always see me. You take great pleasure in every hair on my head. And even when I fall down, and even when I cry, and even when I act stupid, even when I act wicked, you see me in Christ. You see me like Christ. You see me for me and the me who I will be and who I am becoming and who I have been in him. We thank you that this is the gift of Christmas and help us to love you and trust that we are loved by you, that your pleasure is on us. We watch dads and moms Google, gurgle, and do everything out of their power. Pay attention to all their little ones. And yet, this is still not even half the truth of how you are to us. You never don't see us. You never leave us. And you always listen. Because in Christ, you as our Father, and we as your beloved son or daughter, is ours forever. And it's a worth and a treasure that is ours forever. Help us to believe this and be free and safe and courageous and joyful all our lives because of the gospel of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.